It's been a good day so far, hasn't it? So far. I, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have a conversation with you again today. Is that all right? I'm going to do it, so you might as well. Um, the reason is because sometimes when I have to say hard things, I ask myself, what's the best posture? And it just seems like a conversational posture this morning would be easier for you to take. So that's what I want to do. I just want to have a, a conversation with us as kind of a family. I've got some things planned. Don't worry about it. But, um, but it would be easier for us just to kind of engage more like this. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that uh, those who walk according to the Spirit mind things of spirit. And those who walk according to flesh mind things of flesh. The unfortunate translation is that some, uh, that some translations add the word live, but that's not the word. The word is in verse 4. That we walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Then verse 5, for those according to the flesh, mind the flesh. And those according to spirit, mind spirit. So part of walking in the spirit is having a mind that is oriented like spirit. Can I have a conversation with the family this morning about your mind? I'm wondering if you're in your right mind. You're, you might be wondering if you're in your right mind. Others wondering it about you. We'll have the conversation. I've told the story before, but it will fit. It will help me understand what's happening in Paul's letter here. About 21 years ago when I moved to college church, the only laptop I had was an, a 386 MS-DOS. Now, some of you are like, I, don't, I never even heard of that. Well, it was, I think they invented it about the time they invented fire. It's that old. But it, it, I knew it. And it, you just push control F7, control F2, and it immediately calls to the screen what you want it to do. None of that monkey business buffering thing going on. Boom, it was right there. Well, one day I had a problem and I couldn't get the thing open, so I called tech support. And the first thing he said to me was, well, uh, let's see. He said, uh, uh, go ahead and open windows. And I went... He said, can you open windows? I said, well, yeah, but well, what would, it's March. Why would I open the window? I could hear him go. <clears throat> you realize he was talking to a complete moron. And he said, sir, excuse me, windows duh, is, it's, uh, it's an operating system. Uh, it allows you to access different functions on your computer. 
Uh, let me see what I can do. Well, the more he talked, the lost I got. And finally he said, sir, you're having serious problems with your operating system. It's too small. So he's still laughing. He said, have you considered getting a new computer? Well, by now he made me mad. So I got defensive. And so I said, kind of snapped, look, I've written two and a half books on this computer. I don't know what you've done with yours. <laughs> but it served me quite well up to the present time. Can't we just work this out? Pause. He said, sir, with all due respect, the problem is your operating system. And you'd be surprised what you could do if you had a new operating system. Well, he had me. So I went out and I bought my first PC with Windows. Not those, the ones in front of you. And it was amazing, you guys. I could, I could open a spreadsheet. I could play my music. I could access the internet. I could write documents. I could do emails at the same time. It was awesome. And then about five, six years later, I put away the childish things and I got a MacBook. <laughs> and then another whole world opened up to me. I found that the MacBook was talking to my iPhone. I couldn't believe it. I'm laying in bed one night, got my laptop open, looking on iTunes. I didn't even know there was an iTunes. And I'm looking at music, and it says, you can buy this song. So I download a song by my best theologian, Bruce Springsteen. And I didn't even pull out my wallet. I just hit buy. And it, boom, I had it. And then the next morning, I went downstairs, and my phone was lying on the stair. And I picked up my phone, and there was a notification that said, hey, Dude, last night you downloaded Darkness on the Edge of Town. Would you like that on your phone too? <laughs> I went. Heck yeah! <laughs> and in a second, I had everything on my phone that I had on my laptop. They were talking to each other. And they were in different rooms. <laughs> One phone call to tech support changed my life. <laughs> I learned three things that morning. One, operating systems really matter. Two, there are better ones out there than the one you have. And three, you'd be surprised what you could do if you had a better operating system. The closest thing we have to an operating system in the body is what the Bible calls the heart or the mind. 
The heart or the mind is the predisposition that you and I have before we see anything or hear anything. It is a complex web of assumptions and ideas and fantasies. It's your way of accessing the world. So the mind or the operating system that is in you not only determines how you do everything, it determines what you can actually do. If you had a better mind, if you had a better operating system, it would change the way you listened to people and the way you speak to people and the depth of your friendships. If you had a better mind or an operating system, you could access things you can't get to in the mind you now have. Operating systems, minds matter. They are a big deal. And there are other ones out there than the one you now have. And you'd be surprised what you could do if you had a better mind. Think of your mind as a factory that generates at least three powerful, formative things about you. One of those is your ideas. The second thing is your imaginations. The third thing is your instincts. Your ideas, as I said, is a complex web of assumptions. It's your way of seeing the world. It's your bias. So that no matter what happens, no matter what you hear, you hear it through your bias. And if it's information that doesn't agree with your bias, you reconfigure it. You're doing it now. The words leaving my mouth are in midair until they land in your mind. And the second they land in your mind, you are already turning them in a way that you can receive them. This feels to you like it is a subconscious power beyond your control. That would be wrong. You have a tremendous amount of agency on what you can do with your minds. Do not give that up. The second is your imaginations. You're sitting in the light. You're sitting in the waiting room. You're waiting for something to happen. The human mind can listen six times faster than anyone could speak. So there's always a margin in your mind to do other things. So when your mind is an idol, I'm looking at some of you like it is right now. And it drifts. What are the channels or the paths, the currents that your mind consistently runs in? When there is nothing to think about, what are the themes and the dreams and the hopes and the images that you draw out of thin air and create in your mind? Those are Powerful, influential sources. They pull you in their current. 
mind simply invents whatever the heart wants. So, if your mind were a movie, what would it be rated? Instincts are learned behaviors. They're sometimes dispositions over a long period of time. They're gut-level responses so that when something happens in the meeting or in the nation, we instinctively act in a certain way. Your instinct is your reaction before you choose the action. Because there's a moment when you went, oh, I, I shouldn't have said that. That's the instinct. So whoever has the mind has control of your instincts. Are you still there? Yes. Now, one of the things we've learned in the last three or four years in America is the power of the mind to control everything. We have seen people today with biases so deep or with loyalties to a certain person or a certain cause that the moment information enters their ears that contradicts that cause or that idea, they automatically reconfigure it. We have seen in America how two people... Some on the left, some on the right, some are conservative, and some are progressive, can have two entirely different agendas, and they talk right past each other. So you're either talking about gun control, January 6th, or you're talking about abortion, inflation, and secure borders. And you can put these people in room and they can talk right past each other. And one will go, yes, 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 gun control is kind of important, lives matter. Now abortion, can I talk about abortion? And they will just drive, you're thinking, dude, are these not the same thing? We have seen in the last three or four years how our most powerful, formidable enemy is not a person, it is an idea. And ideas spread like viruses, for better or worse. And they can capture entire tribes, colonies of people, to think and react in a certain way. Here's the good news. The ultimate freedom you have as a human being is the power to select what you will allow or require your mind to dwell upon. The ultimate power you have this morning is the power to select what you allow or require your mind to think upon. Long before you get pulled into the instinct and way before your ideas hardened into convictions, you have some agency 
over what you do with your mind. So this is why Paul is writing in Romans chapter 8 to the Romans who have just become Christians, but they are immersed in a Roman culture that is entirely different from the narrative they have just come into. And Paul is trying to tell them, now that you belong to Jesus Christ, look at this, this is not your narrative. He is your narrative. You must get hold of your minds because minds matter and there are better ones out there and you could do so much more if Christ could get hold of your mind. This is Paul's message. The big moment maybe, at least for now, is that Paul says there are in fact Two minds, but they are not left and right, conservative and progressive. The two minds, he said, are flesh and spirit. And uh, I know you know this. You're like, oh, yeah, that. But look, do you realize in the last three years, even Christians, our entire language has been lost to the rhetoric we did not choose. It is a socio-political narrative and every time we get into a difference, we're kind of wondering, is that person, are they left or are they right? But the scripture itself knows nothing of left and right, conservative or progressive. Can I have a moment, family? Get back to your narrative. Pick up your language. You know, the number of people have come to me in the last few years and say, you know, we've been trying to figure you out when you preach. We can't figure out whether you're conservative or whether you're liberal. You don't know whether you're left or whether you're right. What's well, because I don't know. I don't think in those categories. And the more I think in those categories, the more it keeps me from thinking about the only two that Paul said exist, and that is flesh and spirit. So you can see how in Romans chapter 12, when Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourself, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, willing to associate with people of low position. Paul is describing a spirit life. In that same passage, Romans chapter 12, when Paul says, do not be conceited and do not be proud and do not repay evil for evil and do not take vengeance upon people who oppose you, he is describing a life that is pulled in the flesh. Do you understand that you could have someone who is far right or far left and they can still be acting in flesh or spirit. And what doesn't sit with you is not their ideas, it's the spirit behind them. You can feel that their mind is flesh. And this is why some of you have 
this said to me, you know, this person and me, we agree on almost every issue. And I think he's a jerk. That's why. Because your detector is sensing there is something under it. There is an undercarriage that carries all of their convictions. I just say it. Would to God that the Spirit make us of many different convictions or some of us ain't necessary. But give us one mind. Yes? Keep your convictions. I need them and you need mine to pull me out of mine. But God make us one heart and mind. Are you all right? This was supposed to be a chat. Doggone it. Now, when I go back to Romans chapter 8, there's a couple of things I want to point out. One is that Paul's language here is not prescriptive. He's not telling you that you have to do anything. He doesn't say anything about your behavior until verse 12 where he says, now we are obligated to the way of the Spirit. That's the first thing. So if you're reading this and you're thinking, oh man, here's a whole list of stuff I got to do and I stink at all this stuff. Relax. That's not what this passage is about. The second big observation is that the language in this passage for sinful nature, that's a bad translation, is literally sarks in the Greek. And what it means is your creatureliness. It, it, it means your, your personality, your way, your disposition uh, after the fall. It's the frailty, the weakness of what it is to be human. That's flesh. You see, when we make this passage flesh, say sinful nature, we start thinking in moral terms. The flesh is bad and the spirit is good, but this is not Paul's language. Look at the text. He's saying the flesh is death and the spirit is life. If someone lives in the flesh, their horizons get shorter, their ideas get smaller. They run out of options. They lack creativity. They get weaker over time. But when someone is alive, their horizons are far-reaching. Their thoughts and ideas get larger and more creative. The world is open to them. So the core of the flesh is not so much sinful behavior. It's a life driven by your own energies. I got to make this happen. I got to somehow practice this life in the spirit 
with the energy of the flesh. And you can't do that any more than you can run windows on an MS-DOS. You just can't. They're two different systems. You have to bail on the DOS thing and get in to the spirit thing and let the spirit pull you instead of you pushing you. Yes? Some of you are trying way too hard. Just enough religion to make you miserable. If you had more, you would be free. So a person in the flesh is driven by what they must do. The person in the spirit is pulled by what the spirit is doing. When the person is operating in the flesh, they... Their world is closed to them. There is shame and defensiveness. You know how you were supposed to act. And there you go. You just blew it again. That is just like you. When are you going to get this right? But when a person is operating in the spirit, their life is open. There is freedom and generativity in life. A person in the flesh is saying, I'm free because I can do what I want. But the person in the spirit is saying, I'm free because I can do what I really want. And sometimes you just doing what you want disqualifies you from getting what you really want. When you do what you want, you don't like what you get. And that's how you know you ain't free. Person in the flesh is disciplined by God and he says, why is God angry at me? Person in the spirit is disciplined by God and he says, father disciplines those he loves. Flesh talks about heaven as a reward. Really, could you really earn that? And the spirit talks about heaven as an inheritance. And then a reward is your inheritance. You're adopted into the family. The spirit of the father has been planted in you. There's a new life inside of you. You're taking on the father's characteristics. I can tell you where I was when this dawned on me. I was picking up Ezekiel, Colleen, 37. I was citing it by memory. That's how familiar I was in missing the point. And I stood by the river and I heard for the first time, I will sprinkle water on you and make you clean I thought, it! I spent all these years in the holiness church thinking that was my job. But that morning I heard, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will put my spirit inside of you and liberate you to walk in my ways. 
From that moment on, I saw laws, not as a fence that barred certain behavior. I saw them as a gate that opened a new life into an entirely different behavior. That morning, it occurred to me that what God wants for me, indeed what I wanted for myself, can only be had in the power of the Spirit. Am I just talking to myself, or is there anybody in here feeling anything? Thank you. You don't have to make this happen. You can't. The one thing you can do that only you have agency over is to believe it. So if you're sitting out there right now and you're saying, yeah, all this spirit talk, yeah, yeah, I've been a Christian for a long time. It just ain't true for me. Look, something can be true without you knowing it. It's true. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered you the moment you were saved. I don't know what you did, whether you knelt, prayed, confessed, whatever you did, got baptized, whatever your tradition allows you to do. But what made you a Christian was not the magic words, open sesame. What made you a Christian was the Holy Spirit came into your life and you were baptized in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You were poured upon with the Holy Spirit in Titus chapter 2. You were anointed by the Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You were circumcised by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All of this was done by the Holy Spirit. You just didn't know it. And so the first thing you can do is you can just say to the Spirit, I take you at your word. I don't feel it. I don't see it. But I take you at your word. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law and sin. Law says do this and it is never done. The Spirit says believe this and behold everything is done already. Now if you're like me, you're wondering, well, you're wondering when we're going to get out of here, but you might be wondering how this applies to your life and how would people see this? Steve, if I were really possessed by the Spirit and I went to work tomorrow, how would people notice? Here's a few things that I think would show up immediately in the places where you live, whether dorms, neighborhoods, or in places where you work, locker rooms, boardrooms, floors, people would feel this immediately. One is in the way you handle conflict. And God knows there is plenty of it. 80% of the conflict that occurs in the workforce is between two individuals. It's almost never between the person and the institution. It is between two individuals. And those who study family systems tell us that the single most important ingredient 
is one person in that system who is close enough to the information that they can see the effect of this, but at the same time, they have differentiated themselves from the swirling emotion. So imagine that you went to work tomorrow or to the club or wherever you are and you stepped into that space and there was conflict because there always is and instead of reacting like flesh, you lived spirit. You said, what is the way of love. What does joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, loyalty, what is the way of self-control? What does the spirit, anyway, do you see where this is going? One person to step into a high tense conflict situation, but they can de-escalate it because Their mind has been taken over by the Holy Spirit. Just this week, I was in line at a party store, and this lady behind me has her cell phone, and it's on speaker, and thanks for the convert, and she's talking to somebody who is just venting about somebody who done her wrong. I can't believe what a jerk he is. And the person behind me has her cell phone out like this. And she's saying, man, you are so right. You know, one word that goes through my mind when I think of that person is narcissist. And the one on the phone is going, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, I wanted to take her phone and say, lady, She is not doing you a favor. She is agreeing with you and your whole line reasoning is twisted. If everybody in the store agreed with you, you'd still be in a very sick relationship. Your mind would be polluted with all of these images and languages and how right you are. And everywhere you went, you got to take yourself with you. There you are. Wouldn't it be better, lady, to think on these things? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is virtuous and of good report, think on these things, lady. And the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, she just slapped me. (laughs) But you see the difference it makes. The second there is a spark, some of you run over with a bucket of gas. You do. Oh, yeah, I'll raise you two. Better for you to go over with water. Second thing. Um, Imagine what this would do in your life for pressure and stress. 
Some of your jobs, like mine, require you to be in front of people more than you like. They require deadlines, a very regimented life, uh, and they are full of audiences. And whenever you put a deadline and an audience together, what you get is pressure. And if you're like me, you start to resist the pressure. <laughs> like, oh, man, I wish I didn't have to deal with this. Then one day it occurred to me, actually, I heard Venus Williams say it there. She said, pressure is a gift. If you don't like pressure, try and live without it. And you'll go to bed at night wondering if you matter. No, no, the way you handle pressure is to learn to live with it, but you have to manage it differently. So imagine now, people, that we could step into the high pressure that is our jobs. And the moment we heard a voice that said, man, you better bring your game. We heard another one that said, oh, don't be anxious about anything. The Lord is near. In everything, through prayer and petition, just talk to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will soak your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine why you'd be able to step into a high pressure situation and you would be able to live by the mind that was in you instead of the expectations around you. Instead of getting up and thinking, what are they thinking of me right now? You could step in that and say, what is the Holy Spirit already doing and how do I participate in that momentum? Yes, are you tracking? Can you imagine the baggage you could get rid of if you had a better mind?